So I'd like to offer you a warm welcome towards spending the next two weeks in quite a um, unique and special way, being in retreat here in northern New Mexico in a deep retreat period, deep practice period. And I think it's uh, safe to say that um, I'm offering this warm welcome from all of us who have been here over these last two weeks practicing in retreat. And as I think probably you all know, I'm sorry to say that Annie, my co-teacher, isn't here, won't be here uh, for these two weeks. She left uh, today, this morning, and uh, needed to go home to take care of some things that needed to be taken care of. The setting here, the community, the retreat environment, and the silent ambiance have all been honed, honed in a very simple and beautiful way through all of us uh, living together, living and practicing together here over these last 14 days. And spring has even uh, moved into place with more certainty, with the grass having grown a couple of inches and the tulip blossoms popping out and the river flowing fully and uh, surrounded by the burgeoning of new green leaves. All of this happening just in the last few days. So again, the natural world all around us and all of us that have been here for the last couple of weeks welcome you each into retreat practice. Into this world of silence that pervades amidst the sounds of the world where everything just simply comes and goes in the spacious, patient acceptance of silence. The key here in retreat is that you don't have to be anybody. You really don't have to be anybody special. You don't have to present yourself in any way at any time. You don't have to be somebody or become somebody. You just simply be. And it's a great relief, actually, to just simply be. While we're all here together, life is pared down, simplified from our usual daily life activities, demands, and seeming needs. There's not much to do over these next two weeks. Sitting, walking, eating, hearing, talking with me for a few minutes every few days, spending a bit of time each day with your yogi jobs, sleeping, and most importantly, cultivating an accepting, clear, focused, and interested attention. And bringing this attention to your particular experiences of body, heart, and mind. So compared to the ways of the world, There's really not much to do over these next couple of weeks, which is a very good thing to remember. 
because some of you may have such a, a strong habit of keeping busy that you may go on creating all sorts of things to do just simply out of habit. In light of this, one of the things that we've been practicing and will continue practicing here is what we could call renunciation. Letting go of busyness, busyness, both externally and potentially also internally. And letting go of the usual distractions that you use, that you engage in to try to relax out of all the business, busyness. And so it's a great gift, this renunciation, this letting go. It's not at all so usual in our culture to take the time to engage our energy this way, to really simplify our life and to spend time looking inward, to come to a place like this to be, to just simply be, not to become anything or anybody and not to fill up the mind with more stuff. But again, just to simply be. Connecting and looking inward. Looking directly at your experience just as it is in the moment. And so we begin together in a kind of sanctuary being here together in this place of safety, this place of protection, this place that holds and engenders deep respect and acceptance. What a great gift it is that each of you have given yourself for the full month of retreat and for these two weeks of retreat. And that you give to each other just simply by being here with each other. Whenever I spend time in retreat myself, be it just a few days or for an extended period of time, although I know deeply in my bones the great and small benefits of extended periods of practice, I'm reminded again and again and again what an incredible, great gift we've been given from the Buddha. And what an incredible and great gift we give to ourselves when we take the time and put out the energy to directly engage in this journey of awakening. And so here we are with a rare two-week opportunity ahead of you, each of you, for those of you that have just arrived, and a rare continuing opportunity of two more weeks of deep retreat practice for some of you. A time of cultivation and discovery a time of exploration, purification, and understanding. Which, as you know, sometimes may not be so easy and may even be quite challenging at times. But all the while, this time also includes the potential of bringing forth experiences of deep calm, tranquility, joy, illumination, understanding, and deep wisdom. The supports for your practice here are many, and some of which I've already mentioned. 
And I'd like to spend a few moments now exploring the supports of uh, the refuges and the precepts which will be offered for your taking at the beginning of each of the Dhamma talk evenings. So taking refuge. People take refuge in all kinds of things. In all of the various things, the stuff, material, on the physical plane. And in various ideas, beliefs, and conjectures on the mental plane. We could call this a virtual refuge, kind of a virtual happiness in this constantly changing ephemeral world of ours. Taking refuge in the context of our practice. What does it mean in this context? One of the ways that we might recognize and experience refuge is as a place of shelter, a place of protection and safety, a sacred space and place. A dictionary definition that I once found uh, for the word refuge says, refuge is a port of shelter to vessels in stormy weather which fits quite well, actually, with uh, some aspects of our practice or some periods of our practice. Refuge is often experienced as a place of strength, a place of strength and clarity, both inwardly and outwardly. The strength and clarity of those around us, our teachers, and our spiritual friends who are on the path with us. And in the context of the Dhamma, we take refuge in what are often spoke about as the three jewels or the three treasures. The first being the Buddha, which for many people means the historical Buddha, Gautama Buddha. So taking refuge in our Buddha. This can bring inspiration and energy into our practice. For instance, we might reflect on the purity of the Buddha's heart, mind. The heart that's free from anguish and confusion. The heart that's free from all suffering. We might reflect on the great and amazing accomplishments of the Buddha, which may inspire us towards a more sustained and greater effort in our own practice. And lastly, an important aspect of taking refuge in the Buddha is that we're taking refuge in our own true nature our own innate, awakened nature. Taking refuge in the truth of ourselves. It's sometimes called our original face. And the fact that essentially we're not separate from this. It's not somewhere else. It's not other than us. But right here, always, available to be known. So from this perspective, taking refuge in the Buddha is a symbol of faith. Faith in our deepest and most expansive potential. So that's the first jewel, the Buddha. The second jewel or treasure that we take refuge in is the Dhamma. The teachings of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the teachings of the truth, the way of things, 
the universal laws. We could say that the taking refuge in the Dhamma is what is actually taking refuge in the truth, moment to moment to moment. Taking refuge in how it really, truly is. With this refuge, we're aligning ourselves with the practice of awareness, mindful awareness. Aligning ourselves with the practice of insight, understanding, our practice of samadhi, concentration, and panya, wisdom. This practice that asks us to look directly and deeply at how it is. Taking refuge in the cultivation of a concentrated, direct, and powerful, mindful awareness in order to see the truth. Dropping our expectations and habitual patterns of seeing and also the habit of relying on others to tell us how it is. Taking refuge in the Dhamma ourselves. So that's the second jewel, the Dhamma. The third jewel or treasure that we take refuge in is the Sangha, the community. Traditionally, the Sangha is the monastic community, the community of Buddhist monks and nuns, those who have totally devoted themselves towards liberation. Since the time of the Buddha up until quite recent times, it's primarily been the monastic Sangha who have held and offered the teachings and the practices. And truly, if it wasn't for this monastic sangha over the centuries, we wouldn't be sitting here together in this way this evening. In more recent times, the sangha has come to mean not only the monastic sangha, but the sangha, the community of lay teachers and lay practitioners. There are moments when I take refuge in the Sangha when there's a sense of the incredible, vast expanse of human beings in this world, past and present, that I'm connected to through this process of awakening. The Dhamma family. A sense of connection and unity with this Dhamma family that brings an inspiration and faith in the process and faith in myself as I engage in the process. Another important aspect of taking refuge in the Sangha is that we're taking refuge in each other. Right here, right now. The support, encouragement, and inspiration that we receive from and give to each other. So very necessary in this amazing, powerful, and sometimes difficult journey. And as you all well know, our culture doesn't particularly encourage or support us to engage in this journey. And there are cultures that do. But our Western culture isn't one of them. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to practice totally alone in this world. We need Sangha. We need the support, inspiration, and the strength of community to engage in and to continue along this journey of awakening. So taking refuge 
a very powerful support as you practice over these next two weeks. Taking refuge in the Buddha, the three jewels, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. The next support uh, for our practice is the practice of sila. Sila being a Pali word that means living ethically in relationship to all forms of life. Living with a deep moral sensitivity towards and with all forms of life, which very much includes ourselves, our, our self-form of life, our own body, heart, and mind. The Buddha offered these particular teachings and practices in the form of precepts or guidelines. Guidelines meaning that they're not rigid rules laid down on us or upon us from the outside, but rather the basis, the ground of our practice. The underlying principle of these guidelines is non-harming. The intention and the practice of sila is to connect to all forms of life with a deep respect and a caring heart, honoring life in all of its forms, and then acting from this place. And this is uh, some words from the Buddha, from the Dhammapada. All beings tremble before violence. All fear death. All love life. See yourself in others. Then whom can you hurt? What harm can you do? One who seeks happiness by hurting those who seek happiness will never find happiness. For your sister, your brother, is like you. She, he, wants to be happy. Never harm her, never harm him. And when you leave this life, you too will find happiness. And maybe before you leave this life. As our practice deepens and matures, we come to understand what actually brings happiness? What actually brings contentment and ease on the deepest level? And what brings suffering? What brings confusion? What brings dis-ease? Any one of the guidelines, the precepts, may light up as a point of practice for us at any moment during this retreat. Sitting, walking, eating, during your yogi job. Bringing your attention right into the present moment's experience. Offering an opportunity for the clarity of mindfulness, investigation, and wisdom to arise. I'd like to share um, a particular rendition of the um, precepts. It's not the traditional rendition from the Buddha, which we will uh, chant shortly. But this is a particular rendition from a woman named Stephanie Kaza, uh, who wrote these. Uh, She was, may still be, a resident of Green Gulch Farm. And I like this particular Uh, way of speaking the precepts because uh, as you'll see each line tells us why why we practice sila knowing how deeply our lives intertwine we vow not to kill 
knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not take what is not given. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not engage in abusive relationships. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not speak falsely or deceptively. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not harm self or others through poisonous thought or substance. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not dwell on past errors. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not speak of self separate from others. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not possess any thing or form of life selfishly. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not harbor ill will toward any plant, animal, or human being. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not abuse the great truth of the three treasures, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. In this retreat, we'll be practicing with the five precepts or the five guidelines for lay practitioners. And as I've already mentioned, we'll be chanting the refuges and precepts together. They'll be offered at the beginning of each Dhamma talk evening. So the supports that are here for us over these next two weeks. The simplicity of daily life here together. Silence. The ambiance of the natural world surrounding us here. Refuge in the three jewels, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And the precepts or guidelines. And I'd like to close the Dhamma talk portion of the evening with um, a poem called Tilico Lake by David White. In this high place, it's as simple as this. Leave everything you know behind. Step toward the cold surface. Say the old prayer of love and open both arms. Those who come with empty hands will stare into the lake astonished. There in the cold light reflecting pure snow, the true shape of your own face. And so now I'd like uh, to uh, chant the refuges and precepts together. Um, If you don't have chant sheets, they're up on top of the piano. Maybe, Kate, we could pass them around. Or Chris. Chris will pass them around to everybody.
And we'll chant together and take just a moment before we begin and let the energy relax, let your body relax, your mind, your heart. And let the energy drop down into the heart center. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Buddham Saranga Chami Dhammam Saranga Chami Sangam Saranga Chami Dutiampi Buddham Saranga Chami Dutiampi Dhammam Saranga Chami Dutiampi Sangam Saranga Chami Tatiampi Buddham Saranga Chami Tatiampi Dhammam Saranga Chami Tatiampi Sangam Saranga Chami Panati Pata Veramni Sikapadam Samadhyami Adina Dana Veramni Sikapadam Samadhyami Abrahmacharya Veramni Sikapadam Samadhyami Musavada Veramni Sikapadam Samadhyami Sura Mereya Majapamadatana Veramni Sikapadam Samadhyami Idam Mesilam Magapalanyanasa Pachayo Otu And we'll sit together for about 25 minutes.